healing up well and uh, trying to do take it easy and do the things I'm supposed to. So but that's hard, easier said than done, isn't it? Uh, and uh, Brother Steve knows exactly that. But uh, yeah, we we want to try to do what we're supposed to so we get better. But uh, it doesn't. Yeah, you want to get better quicker than what you're going to get better. That's that's probably the crux of it right there. But uh, if you have your Bibles, if you turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 8, and we're going to pick up at verse 27 uh, this morning. And uh, you know, uh, it's interesting that there's a business... Uh, that generates $11 billion a year in sales. Somebody want to try to guess what that business is? Any guesses? Weight loss, land, Brother Carl said no. Not either of those. Alcohol. It's not either, that. Although it, it may, it seems like that probably makes a lot of money too. Not beauty. It's self-help books and conferences. We spend uh, $11 billion a year to feel good about ourselves, uh, which is kind of startling. That surprised me. Um, but, you know, what we tell ourselves does matter. Uh, how we think about ourselves matters. How we think and uh, act towards others impacts us, doesn't it? And so it is important, and it is important that we have a biblical view of who we are. And it's important that you remind yourself often that, hey, listen, God loves you so much, he died for you. And that you're a child of the king and that he's made you brand new and that he has a purpose for your life. You need to remind yourself of that often. And I encourage you uh, to do that. But more important than who do I say that I am is the question, who do I say that he is? And that is perhaps the most important question that any person will ever be called to answer. Who do you say he is? And so let's take a look. Getting in verse 27 of Mark uh, chapter 8. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? And so they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, others say one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should, not, uh, should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke these words openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And, uh, we'll stop there um, for uh, this morning. So Jesus, uh, remember, uh, you know, had uh, last week we looked at the beginning chapters of uh, this verses of this chapter. Uh, Jesus had just fed, at the beginning of the chapter, 4,000 people. Pretty miraculous. And just like when he fed 5,000, when they gathered all that up, they had more at the end than they started with, a bunch more. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, came and demanded to Jesus, said, show us that you really are the Christ. Show us that you really are God. They knew what he claimed. They didn't believe it, though. They, and they weren't really interested in hearing from Jesus. They were interested in trapping him so that they would have a reason uh, to hate him and persecute him. And, uh, and we know how the story ends. They, when they can't find a legitimate charge, they make up lies and pay false witnesses uh, to ultimately do him in. And so they do ultimately get their way. Uh, but now he... Uh, is going through the region of Caesarea Philippi with just his disciples. And he asks two very probing questions. First he says, who do men, who do people say that I am? And they speak up and say, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say Moses, they give him all kinds of answers. John the Baptist, maybe one of the other prophets. And Peter uh, is going to answer this next question. Jesus then turns and says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter chimes up. You are the Christ. You are the one that was promised by God ages ago that would come to redeem God's people. If you read this account in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Jesus says this to Peter. He says, you know what? The, you didn't figure this out in your own strength. You figured it because God the Father revealed this to you. And he said, on this truth I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so... Jesus is teaching a very important lesson by asking the disciples these two questions. 
Because it doesn't matter what anybody else says about Jesus. The only thing that matters in eternity is who you say Jesus is. If you say that he is Lord and Savior, you'll spend eternity with him in paradise. With your sins forgiven and live uh, for all eternity worshiping and, and proclaiming the goodness of God. But if you answer any other way, you'll spend eternity in darkness and condemnation because you rejected Christ's offer of salvation. Jesus is the only way that we can be saved. Because he was the only solution for the problem of sin. And so when he says this to Peter, Peter says, he, Peter takes him aside, Lord, you're crazy. You think we're going to let you suffer? He said, we're going to fight with you. We'll protect you, the 12 of us. Well, we know what happened to those 12 when they came after Jesus. Didn't quite work out the way Peter proclaimed here that he, it would. And Jesus rebukes Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. Peter was trying to do good. He was trying to protect his Lord, the one that he believed. Because he had seen Jesus do things only God could do. And so he understood. He didn't fully grasp it, but he understood some. And he understood that this man named Jesus was the Messiah that God promised was going to come. So he said, Lord, how is it possible that you're going to suffer and that things are going to be done to you and that you're going to be killed for doing good? Because God has promised that the Messiah, that this Redeemer is going to come and overthrow this evil world. Seems logical, but Jesus rebukes Peter and says, Peter, you're thinking according to this world rather than according to God's ways. Because when God promised in the Old Testament that he was going to send a redeemer, he wasn't talking about a military redeemer. He was talking about a man that would lay his innocent life down and shed his innocent perfect blood pay the sin debt of all the world, that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. And I'm included in that whosoever, and so are you. And we should be glad about that. That's good news. Peter didn't take it as good news, though. And so he goes on. And he calls not just his 12 disciples, but all, a crowd of people that were around. He says, see, you know what? Whoever wants to come after me is going to have to deny himself. That is something that mankind has struggled with since the very beginning pages of Scripture. Mankind, as we've been impacted by this disease called sin, we are selfish, selfish creatures. 
It does not come natural to us to think of the welfare or the benefit of others ahead of ourselves. That's true in the 21st century. It was true in the first century when Jesus said these words. People were self-absorbed. They looked after themselves. But Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, you've got to deny yourself and follow me. He says, because if you want to save your life, if you're worried about what's best for you, and for you getting ahead, you're going to lose your life. But those that surrender their life are going to find what true life is. And so I think there are just two applications that I want to, uh, for you to take away uh, from these verses that we've read this morning. And the first is a reminder from the Lord that our words speak. What we say matters. It matters what you say. It matters what you say to yourself. It matters what you say to others. And it matters what you say to God. Now, before we rebuke Peter for rebuking the Lord, which that takes a lot of gumption. For a man that just said, you are the anointed one. You are the promised Messiah. And then, in the very next breath, say, come here. And then whisper to him, hey, you're doing it wrong. That's not how this whole plan is supposed to go. He said, let me tell you how it's supposed to go, Jesus. You're supposed to find you an army. We're going to go to battle. We're going to teach those evil Romans a thing or two. And we're going to take over the world. That's how it's supposed to go. You're supposed to be powerful. And we're going to cream those Romans. They ain't going to know what hit them. It takes a lot of gumption. But before we fault Peter, you understand probably you have done the same thing to God. We're all prone to do this. Say, God, you're not doing it right. God, you're supposed to do it this way, this way, this way. You're doing it wrong. But here's the thing. Jesus will say to us the same thing that he said to Peter when we do that. Get behind me, Satan, because you're thinking in the ways of this world, not in the things of God. God's way is perfect, and God's plan is perfect. Oftentimes, it is not our plan. It doesn't make sense to us at all. And the reason is this. Because our ways are not God's ways. God says that. They'll tell you, say, listen, my ways are much higher than yours and much better. So he says, why don't you pick my way instead of your way? You know what, mankind, all of us, as human beings, we have to learn things the hard way. We should be able to look at the past and say, you know what, when people acted this way, it didn't work out real well, so let's not do that. But as human beings, we keep doing the same, same things and then wondering why the same things keep happening. And so God says, hey, why don't you do something revolutionary? 
why don't you quit doing it the way that doesn't work? And why don't you start doing it the way that I told you to? Because God's way is perfect. And God is always on time. And he always meets our every need. And so our words do matter. They speak. And people hear them. When we say we love you, people hear that. And it, they hopefully know that we love them because they feel it and they know that we care about them and because we're there with them and uh, you know, we're kind and, and those kind of things. We show the love, not just say the love. But if we say we love them and then we kick them, is that, do they think that we love them? No. So our actions do have to match our words, but our words matter, and people listen to our words. We may think they don't. Every one of you that has a child, and every preacher, I'll include myself in this, because preachers think the same thing. They say, why do those church members not listen to me? Uh, i tell you what would fix them if they'd listen to their preacher. But they don't. But the reality is, you do. Now, you may say, I don't want to listen to that preacher, that Aaron. No, he's wrong about it. But you know what? It does sink in, and even though you may not admit it someday... Holy Spirit may use a message or something that I've said or a Sunday school teacher has said or another pastor has said, and it'll, God will remind you of it. Say, so, well, yeah, I should have listened back then. But every one of you parents have, have, have said about you, why do these kids not listen? It goes in one ear and out the other. But can I tell you, the things that you teach your kids, whether it's good or bad, impacts them and it sticks with them. Parents, listen to me. Grandparents, listen. If your children, if your grandchildren don't see you praying, and they don't see you reading the Bible, and they don't hear you speaking to them about God, that sends a very loud message to them. You know what it says? God doesn't really matter. He's not really all that important. But when they hear you say, you know what, I don't feel like going to church, but I'm going. And I don't feel like praying because it's hard and I'm mad at God right now. They see that and they hear it. And it impacts them, believe me. To understand adults, that your words and your actions matter. Say, so, well, I've not set a very good example. Well, then today, change that and start setting a good example. So that those children and grandchildren or nephews and nieces and others that you have an impact on and an influence over will say, you know what, there's something different about her. There's something different about him. Seems like they've gotten closer to the Lord. There's an old proverb that says, train up a child in the way he will go, and when he's old, he will not soon depart from it. Now, that does not mean that if you do everything you're supposed to and you're just the perfect parent, which not, there is no perfect parent except for one, and none of you are him, you'll make mistakes. But 
can, I can assure you that the lessons that you teach your children and your grandchildren matter. And they're taking it in. They're soaking it in. Now, they will because they're teenagers, or little ch especially teenagers. They will say, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. But you know what? They are. And what that proverb tells us is that little, little kids, they may rebel, but most of the time, they come back to the Lord because of an example that godly parents or grandparents or other adults have set for them in their life. And so understand that our words speak. But then something else has to take place, and that's that our actions speak as well. And the reality is your actions speak much louder than your words. Jesus didn't just preach sermons. He gave an example of how to live a godly life by the way that he lived. Jesus was not baptized in the beginning of his ministry because he needed baptism. He did it because he wanted to set an example for the, his disciples, for those that would come after him. He didn't pray every morning. Because he needed to pray. He was God. He did that to show his disciples and to show us how important prayer is. Because if Jesus needed to pray, you better believe you need to. He didn't go to church so that he could check a box and say, Well, I went to temple today. He wrote the book. He taught with more authority and more knowledge than even the, the most educated rabbis. And people noticed it and said, this is a strange thing. This crazy Jewish young man is speaking things and making things clear that even the rabbis can't do. They, 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 man, why could he do that? Because he wrote the book. But if Jesus set the example and he thought it was important enough for him, him to get to church and to take his disciples to church, you better believe it's important for you to be in church. Now, are you saved by being baptized or praying or going to church? No, you're not. None of those things make you a believer or a better disciple Well, they do make you a better, but not a higher disciple. Those things are not what makes us Jesus' disciple. We do those things because we are. We pray and we go to church and listen. I can tell you this that going to church does not make you a Christian. I heard this way one time, uh, that going to church does not make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a cheeseburger. There's truth to that. But, I also know this to be true, you cannot be the disciple of Jesus that God desires for you to be without being part of a local body of believers. You need 
other believers around you to be speaking to you and showing you how to live for Christ. Because your walk might be good and pretty straight today, and so you're being an example to others, but tomorrow your, your Christian walk might look like a staggering drunk. And so when it gets to being like a staggering drunk, you need other people around you to grab a hold of you and help you to walk straight. And all of us need both of those things in our life. So it's so important that we have young people in our church and young adults in our church and older adults and well-seasoned adults We need all of those folks represented in our church because that's who belongs to God's family. We need young people to help us old folks stay young and to remember what a blessing it is to have children and have no one. And those young kids need to see your older example of what a godly man or a godly woman is. They need to know, and we all need to know, that there's others that love us. We know that God loves us. But God shows that he loves us by giving us people that love us. We can't see God, but we can see one another. And so our actions speak like, and so that's why Jesus said, you know what? If you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Jesus denied himself. Because he was fully man, I guarantee you that when we skip ahead in the gospel, I'm going to get ahead of the story for just a second and we're going to wrap up. Jesus wanted to, as he stood before Pontius Pilate, because he was a man, I guarantee you, He wanted to say, listen, bozo, yeah, I am uh, God, and I am going to be victorious, and I am who these yo-yos said that I am, and let me show you. And I think Jesus wanted to show them. I think Jesus wanted to open a can of, uh, of whoop on these folks and show them that he was God. But what does the scripture say? He answered them not a word. And he meekly let them beat him and scourge him and mock him. That speaks loudly about who Jesus is and what his mission is. And so he says, listen, if you want to try to find life, you've got to lose it first. Because in losing it and saying, listen, it's not about me, it's about God, and God controls my life, that's when you find it. And when lost people see that, when they see that you found life by giving life up to find eternal life, they say, you know what, if that yo-yo can do it, I can do it too. 
And so he says, listen, you know what? Whoever's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous generation, verse 38, of him as the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus said, you know what? I'm not going to speak now, but I'm going to speak later. And ultimately, Jesus has the last word, by the way. And so I want us to understand that our words speak and our actions speak. And this is how we close this morning. Understand, friend, your actions speak and your words speak. What do yours say? That's simply the last point this morning. What do yours say? Let's pray again. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your love to us. Lord, thank you that you give us new life. Lord, thank you that you change us. Thank you that you love us when we're unlovely. That you use us when we're imperfect. Lord, if there's one here in the auditorium this morning or one watching on the internet, that's never trusted in you. They've never begun this new life. May they hear your words loudly today. May they understand that they're a sinner separated from God and believe that you are the Christ. You are the anointed, promised redeemer. Come to redeem whosoever will call upon you. And you paid with your own sinless blood the sacrifice of sin. Lord, may you help them to confess you as Lord today and find new life in you. Lord, maybe there's one of your children here today that as we've talked about our words and our actions, your Holy Spirit has moved in us and, and we realize that they've not matched up and they're not what we would like them to be. And Lord, for those, maybe we need to recommit our lives to you today. Maybe we need to, we've not been that good example in word or in deed. But Lord, can we resolve to have a new start here today on June 11th, 2023? That from this day forward, starting right now with the Lord's help, we're going to have a new example. And our words are going to be different. Their words are going to be new. And our actions are going to be new. Help us, we pray, to be a people that have been changed and are being changed by the redeeming, wonderful, amazing power of grace. Stir that within us, Lord, and make it real to us and to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this old hymn of invitation. Pass me not. Now, how sad that is, and one of the most regretful things in our world is to hear that and I